It's really uh, lovely to see you, and if you're joining us on Facebook Live, good morning to you also. Um, Across the world today, around two billion Christians will begin reflecting on the last week of the life of Jesus Christ. And as they do so, they will read, many of them, not all of them, the story of those last seven days as contained in the Bible. And the Bible's story of those last seven days slows everything down. It brings it all to a grinding halt. Even in grammar, the sentences get shorter. The descriptions become less and less and less ornate. Because the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't really know how to add their words to describe what is happening. It is seven days that changed the world. Changed your destiny if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and could change your destiny if you're willing to become a follower of Jesus. And those seven days begin today with the remembrance of Jesus going into Jerusalem on the back of a colt, fulfilling a promise or a prophecy that was made in the Old Testament by a prophet called Zechariah in chapter nine, verse nine. This morning, I want to invite all of you, all of us, to come back to the basics of what happens this week and remind ourselves of what God has done for us. And I do so inviting you to take this very seriously. Across this week, if you normally run around doing everything that you normally do, I'd love to ask you to take a few minutes each day and give yourself the chance to read the story of the passion of Jesus Christ again. That's the portion I'm given to what happens to Jesus when he is crucified. If you wanna take down where you can find that story in the Bible, it's in Matthew chapter 26 and chapter 27. It's also contained in Mark chapter 14 and chapter 15. It's contained in Luke chapter 22 and chapter 23. And it's contained in almost half of John's gospel from chapter 12 through to the end of the book. Half of his book is given to seven days of Jesus' life and ministry. And I want to reflect for a few moments with you on what we call Palm Sunday. What happened on that day and some of the things that might help us as we journey across this week and think about what Jesus has done for us. So if you have a Bible, could you please turn in it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. For those of you that are interested, I have written a little um, PDF, a little booklet that kind of recounts all of the last week of Jesus' life, where he was, what he did in chronological order. See me later, write your email on a piece of paper and I'll send it to you um, today, this afternoon or tonight if you'd like that to read during this week to help you kind of make that journey and to reflect on it. We're going to read Luke chapter 19 from verse 28 through to the end of the chapter. Oh, I can now say it properly, can't I? Verse 28 through to the end of the chapter. 
Everybody got it? After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that had been seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. A quote from Psalm 118. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. A quote from Habakkuk, chapter two, verse 11. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Every day he was preaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him. But they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were spellbound by what they heard. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. There are an awful lot of ways that I could take this passage with you this morning. I could do what you have probably heard many times before and talk about the fact that this is a fickle crowd. On Palm Sunday, they're shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And just five days later, the same people are shouting, crucify him. As a new pastor arriving on the patch, I think I should remember that, don't you? <laughs> a friend said to me this week, Malcolm, remember the three-year rule. Have you heard of the three-year rule for pastors? In the first year, they idolize you. In the second year, they criticize you. And in the third year, they ostracize you. 
So I have, I'm under no illusions about the fact that you might give me a little bit of a honeymoon period, but uh, being good Belfast people, I'm sure that honeymoon period won't be too long. <laughs> I could talk about the fact that we are called to lay our cloaks or our lives on the ground before Jesus and to say, do with us what you want, Lord, just as they lay their cloaks in front of him. That your little life and my little life can be laid at the feet of Jesus and he can do whatever he wants with it if we're Christians. But I don't want to talk about those two things because to do so, I think, is to slightly take the passage and put it in a direction that perhaps it shouldn't be. I want to reflect on four simple things over the next few moments with you. And uh, here's the first one. The reliability of Jesus Christ. I noted to you earlier on, didn't I, that there was a quote from Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, blessed is he who comes, I beg your pardon, that he will ride on a coat. I also told you that there was a quote here from Psalm 118, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There's also toward the end of the passage, a quote from the book of Isaiah, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Just in this small story, three or four different examples of Jesus fulfilling promises that were made in the Old Testament about the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the one who would come to set the world free. There are between 300 and 400 of those promises in the Old Testament. How likely is it that one person would be able to fulfill them all? Well, I'm not a very good statistician, so I like images. For those of you that love probability, think about this. This is how likely it is. Take a two pound coin, a coin about the size of a two pound coin, and cover the landmass of Texas with it. About a meter deep. Then blindfold a woman or a man and tell them to walk across Texas and stop, and the first coin they pick up will be the one with the name of Jesus written on the back of it. That's how mathematically probable it is, by chance, that someone could fulfill all those promises. All around you, you hear stories of people telling you that the gospel isn't reliable, that the Bible isn't reliable, that Jesus isn't reliable, that he's a story that was made up there is nothing and no one more reliable than this man. There is no one who could have by chance fulfilled all of these promises. And as you go across this week, maybe your faith's being battered a bit by secular society. Maybe you're thinking, is this all true? Can it be trusted? It is utterly, utterly trustworthy. Jesus is utterly, utterly reliable. What he has said he means, and what he has intended to do, he has done. So who does the Bible describe this Jesus as, this reliable Jesus as? In another part of the Bible, uh, a book called Colossians, the Apostle Paul, writing to a, a fledgling church full of people with questions and doubts and anxieties and joys and sorrows, just like us, said this, he is the visible expression of the invisible God. And in him, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. You are not remembering this week 
a good teacher. You're not remembering a, a moral example. You're not remembering a prophet. You're not remembering someone who is special. As you go through the journey of Holy Week, you are remembering that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us that he experienced our sorrows, that he went through our heartbreaks, that he faced our same anxieties, and that he did it faithfully. He is utterly, utterly dependable. He is completely reliable. I know some of you have been exploring who Jesus is in the Alpha Course. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us this morning. Jesus Christ is reliable as a savior. He's reliable as a teacher. He never tells lies. He never does something to hurt people. He never takes advantage of people. He never misguides us. He never misleads us. He never leads us down the garden path. His aim and his purpose is always that we would have life and that we would have it completely and fully. He is utterly reliable. On the first Sunday in February in 1986, I came to know this Jesus as my savior, as my Lord. I have let him down many times. Over the last 32 years, there have been moments when I've tried to run away from him. There've been moments when I have failed him. There's been moments when I have sinned. He has never let me down. Now, for those of you that are Christians here for a moment, I'm gonna ask you to do something so that those that are visiting might see this. If you can agree with that statement, that God has never let you down, he's been utterly reliable. Just put your hand up. There you go. So as you travel across Holy Week, remember the reliability of Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want you to note from this passage is the relentlessness of his love. Jesus didn't come to establish a religion, thank God. He didn't come to establish the Elam Pentecostal Church. He didn't come to establish the Baptist Church or the Catholic Church or any other denomination. He came to set people free from their sin. And he was relentless about it. He challenged the religious authorities of his day in this passage. It's why they decided that they were going to kill him. Toward the end of it, you hear of him overturning the tables and throwing out the money changers. Why? Because access to God had become something that you had to buy. What would Jesus Christ do today if he walked into the churches of Northern Ireland? What tables would he overturn? What religious barriers would he remove? What denominational obstacles would he sweep away with his hand in order to get to people? Brothers and sisters, as we begin to think about me embarking on leading you, and thank you for trusting me with that responsibility, let's never give people church. Let's never give them more religion. Let's never give them more rules and rituals and obligations to follow. Let's not make them jump through our hoops. Let's not create all these barriers that we set that say, you're in if you're like this and you're out if you're like this. Let's simply give them Jesus. The Jesus that relentlessly pursues you, relentlessly follows you, will go through everything, will go through hell and high water to get to you. I wonder how many of us today need this Easter to stop and to remember again the relentlessness of his love. I find myself 
deeply moved as our, in our time of worship earlier on. Because I remember the first verse of the Bible that I learned as a Christian. That God loved me before I loved him. Whilst I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. There's no difference between the person, the man or the woman that stands in the pulpit and you, if you're not a Christian, other than they are redeemed and you have not yet experienced that grace. But those two verses that Brian read at the communion table, so powerfully and beautifully, the first one, listen to it again slowly and let it sink into your heart. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He was relentless. Again and again in Mark's gospel, you hear this little phrase, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem. Why did he do that? He did it because he knew why he had come. He'd come to offer his life so that people like you and me could be redeemed. He came to set us free. He came to lift the guilt of sin from us. He came to transform us and nothing and no one was going to stop him. The religious authorities tried to stop him and they couldn't. His disciples tried to stop him and they couldn't. Satan tried to stop him and he couldn't. No one could stop him. How hungry is your heart today? Christian, how hungry are you for a fresh experience of God's grace and love and mercy? He is relentless in pursuing us. Perhaps you're here tonight or this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've attended an Alpha course, you've come to church a couple of times, you went as a kid, but you've never surrendered. And Christ stands before you today and offers you forgiveness. A fresh start, beautiful songs chosen brilliantly. Lily, Evie, Lily, Lily, thank you so much. Every one of them speaking of the grace and the mercy and the power of God, brilliantly chosen. Thank you so much. Those songs that we sung earlier on talk of a God who is relentless. You may have come into this building. You may be watching online this morning, not a Christian. You can leave with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may have come in dejected, distant, backslidden, doing your own thing, ignoring God's purpose in God's way. And he's standing looking at you saying, I want to give you another chance. He is relentless. Thirdly, very simply, he is our ransom. You heard that picked up at the communion table as well. There's a little verse in Mark chapter 10. And it says this, that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He has paid for you. He's taken everything that you need to worry about. He's carried your sin, your shame, your disappointment, your sense of abandonment, your sadness, your sorrow, your failures, your faults. Everything that has separated us from God, he has taken. Not only has he done that, he has, sat, he has satisfied the demands of a holy God, as Brian explained so powerfully to us. He's paid your debt. He's opened the handcuffs around your wrist. He said, go free. 
All you need to do is accept my love, turn away from those things that have been in the wrong place in your heart and I will give you life. And it's not like you have to pay a bit of it back. It's all paid. It's all done. Everything, everything is sorted out. Don't forget how much that cost, will you? In Holy Week particularly, don't forget how much it cost God to do that for you. His back was plowed with a whip. He took a thorn of a crown of thorns that were six or seven inches deep, and they forced it onto his head. They made a cross and they put it on his back and they made him carry it. They spat on him. They laughed at him. As he was hanging on a cross, they jeered. They made fun of him. Why would anybody go through such pain? For you? And you think you're worthless? You think that you don't matter? He loves you that much. And I know that we can do big church. We can do loud church, and I love it. But just pause this morning, will you, on Palm Sunday. And remember how much he loves you and what he did for you. Remember what he went through. I know you'll gather on Good Friday to remember that. Every year on Good Friday, I take one verse from the Bible and it becomes the basis of my sermon for the following Good Friday. And I take about 10 or 15 minutes every day to think about it. A couple of years ago, the verse was from Luke chapter 23, verse 44. You'll think, That's not a very important verse. There's one phrase in it. I'll give you a chance to find it. It was now about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for the spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The little phrase that captured my imagination was the sun stopped shining. 
The whole creation shook. For three hours, the very fabric of the universe hung on the brink of destruction because the second person of the Trinity was dying. And he did it for us. I'm not trying to be emotive, but I am unapologetically moved by what Jesus Christ has done for me. How could anybody love you that much? Particularly if they know you. Those dark secrets that nobody else knows, those hateful thoughts that rise in your spirit, that jealousy, that envy, that resentment, that control, that manipulation, that quick judgment. And yet he loves us. He has ransomed us. If it was up to us, how many of us could still stand in the presence of Almighty God? And yet in his mercy and in his tenderness, he has reached out and he's paid the price. You know, the longer you go in church, the easier it is to become religious. You end up thinking that you have to go through all the motions and you have to have a certain facade and you have to appear the right way and use the right words and do the right things and stand up at the right times and sit down at the right times. At the heart of Christian faith and at the heart of the church's beating life is the grace and the mercy and the tenderness of God. How could I sum that up for us as a church? Everybody's welcome. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've come from, no matter what state mistakes they've made, no matter how low their head hangs, they are welcome because Christ has welcomed us. And as they come to him and find forgiveness and mercy and grace, something remarkable begins to happen in their lives. They begin to find hope again. They begin to see themselves the way God sees them. They realize that they're loved, accepted, forgiven, released. Do you remember that? Don't ever forget it. And the last thing that I want to say to you is very simply this. We have been brought into the most remarkable relationship as a result of all of this. I am your brother. How cool is that? You're my sister and my brother. We have family now. The only reason that I am standing behind this pulpit, the only reason that I'm coming to pastor you is because God has united our hearts. I want to say something to you so that you can start the honeymoon period as well as possible. I am not a perfect man. I'm not the solution to the Donald Elam. I'm not some kind of Messiah riding in on a white horse from England with a victory cry reigning behind me. I will fail you. I'll make mistakes. I'll have to apologize to you. But above and beyond everything else, we're not a business. We're not just a charity. We're not some kind of conglomerate. We're a family. And as we love each other, as we walk together, as you learn to forgive me, 
and I learn to forgive you, we will grow. Can you imagine if we were all the same? How many folk are here today, about 220 or something? What could possibly be worse than 220 Malcolm Duncans? Maybe 220 of you. We're brought into this remarkable relationship. We're brought into a relationship that has a purpose. I'm not here to stroke your ego. I'm not here just to keep telling you how wonderful you are. We are a family with a mission. And our mission is to see men and women transformed by the grace and the mercy of God. To see our communities transformed, our families transformed, our boroughs transformed, our city transformed, our nation transformed, our island transformed, and our world transformed. And I believe that God can do that. And that you have a part to play in it. And so do I. So this morning, could you reflect for a moment on what Christ has done for you? Maybe close your eyes out of respect to one another. I just want to ask you to examine your own heart. Maybe you're a bit battle-scarred and weary. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you have the marks to prove that you've been through a rough time. Maybe your understanding isn't what it used to be. Your concentration is weaker. But you are still loved. Why don't you silently say to God, as I journey toward Good Friday, remind me again of what it cost you. Warm my heart again, Lord, by the power of your spirit. Maybe 2017 was a disaster of a year for you. And you find yourself now having to work out what this year is going to look like. Give him everything. Your mistakes, your disappointments, your hurts, your regrets, your hopes. Your victories, your self-righteousness. Give it all to him. And let his grace flood your soul again.
to give you the opportunity to respond to that, so please keep your eyes closed. I've got two questions. The first is for those of you that know and love Jesus and perhaps have wandered or found yourselves distant. And this morning, you're refocusing, you're returning to him. You want to say, Lord, I want to start again. A mark in the sand. 25th of September, or 25th of March, 2018, Palm Sunday. I recommitted my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, no one's watching but me. It's a private moment. Just put your hand up and take it down again, would you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. I have a second question. For those of you that have never surrendered your lives to Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you to join Dundong Dealham, but if you realize how much he's loved you through the songs, the preaching, maybe you've been doing the Alpha course, or maybe you've found yourself just coming into church today, and you know you need to make this decision, you need to settle your fate with God. He's ready to forgive you. All you have to do is ask him. If you're ready to make that commitment, to turn away from your sin and to follow Jesus Christ, then where you are, just put your hand up and take it down again, please. Thank you so much. Who else is here to do that? I want to give you a chance don't believe in manipulating people, but I do believe in preaching intentionally for people to respond. Is there anyone else? I want to thank you for that person, Lord. And I pray that you will give them the assurance of salvation, that you will lift the guilt and sin and shame that they feel, the heartbreak and the hurt, and that you will set them free. Let them know that they are loved and cherished by you. Let the grace and mercy that you give to your people flood their souls. From this day on, may their lives be transformed. May they learn to walk in the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy. And I pray for all those that responded to that first call too. Father, would you give strength and courage and a sense of a clean slate and a new day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that each of us will rise and leave this place today and walk in humility and confidence that Jesus is utterly reliable, celebrating that your love is relentless, that we will mark and acknowledge the ransom that you have paid for us and be humble in counting the cost to you of our salvation and that we will walk in relationship with one another in the powerful name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In heaven, there is a party this morning. So shall we congratulate the person that has made the decision to follow Jesus?
We want to say to that dear lady, welcome to the family of God. We are delighted. If you would come and see my colleague, Pip Kerr. I, love, I get to call you colleague now. Pip's one of the pastors here. Pip, could you just stand in case they don't know who you are? Because I don't know whether they're... That's Pip. <laughs> oh, they didn't do it properly. Pip, stand and give a proper wave. <laughs> Pip will be able to give you some literature and be able to give you an assurance that he's, we're praying for you. And if he needs to, he'll get some information from you. Um, I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm going to be preaching a simple gospel message this evening. If you know somebody who isn't yet a Christian, would you, and I know you're probably asked this every week, but would you please go home and invite them to come along to church tonight? And would you come too? Be amazing to see this place filled and to see dozens and dozens of people surrendering their lives to Jesus, wouldn't it? Well, why not? God bless you.